Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. My man just referenced Yu-Gi-Oh. He turns on his camera for every reference of like Resident Evil and Mario and Yoshi. But there there you go. There you go. I knew it. But he whips out a Yu-Gi-Oh reference on the fly, on the goddamn fly. Who's among us? Uh, How's your uh, uh, Boba Bucha, Aaron? What is that? Aaron Aaron Beverage check-in over here. I'm drinking a uh, milk tea. I believe a Thai milk tea from Mocha Nut. (laughs) <laughs> mochi, mochi nut mochi nut uh donut and boba Monkey he's getting nut. that nut folks he's getting that I'm nut on pods first yep. man to nut on uh, pod. it's very good it is a delightful it is a delightful uh they do this thing so you you order the no one can see this but it's a it i'm basically drinking like a tall boy of boba but it's like clear plastic they they put it in the little plastic tall boy and then they fuse the aluminum can top to it there in the store interesting which is like cool so like is it supposed real. to be like fresh sealed yes i guess that's the point and that's i don't weird. actually know if it keeps in there or like what's the deal with it I, mm. yeah i have no idea but. i'm sure the nitrogen doesn't hurt i recently sure. had boba tea for the first time in my life in chinatown in san really? francisco yeah that is I, never, it. I never yeah. got it because Stoyful. I didn't think I would like it, um, and I didn't. So Ooh. I was correct in my assumption. So you didn't like it? Nope. Real. So here, here's the here's my here's my Aaron take on on boba. Here, this is the boba podcast hour. Um, boba itself, the actual like little little bubbles in the tea, is just fine. I enjoy it. That's like a texture thing. Um, but I think that like ninety nine percent of it is just like I like milk tea a lot. Uh, mm. I like hot milk tea, I like cold milk tea. I think it's just like a really good, refreshing thing. Like the actual boba itself is kind of, I could take it or leave it. You know what I mean? I just I, like the tea itself. I was on a tour of Chinatown and I like got to hear this entire like history of boba tea. There was a, a Taiwanese woman in the boba tea shop that just happened to be there that like stopped by us because she saw we were on a tour and like further explained the history of boba tea, how it was originally a Taiwanese um, like sort of delicacy drink that sort of proliferated and became very popular. I was so excited to try it. I was like, wow, like this is going to taste so good. And I got that first like big old hunk of tapioca or whatever the bubbles are made of. And I was like, oh, I hate this. And then I didn't drink the rest. Just, of it. just drink so, milk tea without the boba. That's yeah, fine. I guess. Yeah, Harry, can yeah. I ask your opinion? Re- excuse me, tapioca pudding. Tapioca pudding's great. Okay, so I love tapioca pudding. And I think I like boba for the same reason, but for the reasons that you don't like hmm. boba, you like tapioca? I, what can I say, man? I contain multitudes. The man contains multitudes. Do you multitudes. think there's maybe space for you to grow into an appreciation of boba? I hope so. Boba tea? Every time sure. I dislike a food, I consider it a personal failure on my part. And I want to get better. That's probably I want, true. I yeah. want to like all food, you know? Like, that would be great. I, I do. I legitimately That's not what true. kind of like all food. It is. It's totally uh, true. Okay. 
You could choose to like take steps and like integrate those into potential like resolutions for the new year. Me, for example, I'm getting really into pickles mm-hmm. this year and that's been going great. Oh, yeah. Well, that, see, that's, th- wait, have you been pickling your own stuff? Speak more oh, about that. He joined the pickle mafia. Make- that's yeah, a deep, uh, deep cut. My application is in processing for the pickle mafia. No, nah, I just buying them from the store. Maybe see, I'll get to pickle my problem stuff is later. that. I've identified so many different ways that I could improve myself that uh, mm-hmm. it's sort of an overwhelming. So I've just elected to not do any of them. Uh, just no <laughs> self-improvement whatsoever. You know, it's just like, why get started? There's just so there's so much ground to cover in so many different ways that, you know, yeah, yeah. I can't maybe, maybe 10 people tell me to do. Maybe there's the ways to improve the world around you, maybe, potentially. Jason, mm, you want mm, to tie this mm. into the film we're oh, talking oh, wow. about? No, no, I was just going to say that Harry contains multitudes, and all of them will remain the exact same multitudes <laughs> as they were the year before. <laughs> all year, the year same out. multitudes. Sure. All the same multitudes. Yeah. <laughs> They've been set for years. Uh, thank you very much for listening to Trilevy, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw, people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilon Podcast. Find the Trilon itself at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. That's also a place where you can get tickets. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm all discombobulated. I'm, I'm a little busy today. Uh, excuse me. My name is Jason Neffes. I help make this show. I'm going to the moon, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm Cody Narvison, and I... Jesus, man. Morbid. Christ. Yeah, I was going to say, I was really looking <laughs> looking forward to how sad all of these quotes were going to make me, and I'm not disappointed so far. Uh, Tom Jones is shite. I'm Harry Mackin, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. My name is Aaron. What's new, Pussycat? You can find me on Twitter at RB, please. Uh, I'm not even going to bother introducing this movie. It's a series of two, I believe, playing at the trial by this director. Uh, but Aaron will give us a quick summary to let us know what we're in for a little bit after he's done chugging that buh. After I'm done slamming a slamming delicious some buh. boba tea. That's what they say. Uh, we are talking about Ratcatcher, the 1999 film directed by Lynn Ramsey, uh, directorial uh, I guess feature length debut of Lynn Ramsey. Uh, the film follows a 12 year old boy named, named James uh, Gillespie uh, in Glasgow, Scotland in 1973. James live, uh, lives in public housing with his family um, in Scotland's historical context. I guess here, Scotland's public housing during this period had some of the worst housing conditions in Europe, uh, uh, which is, I think, Pretty clearly shown in this film. Uh, the film opens with James playing with his friend Ryan uh, in this kind of very dirty, nasty creek outside of their apartments. Uh, and while playing, Ryan accidentally drowns. Um, the rest of this film largely concerns uh, James coming to terms with this, uh, as well as attempting to understand the kind of harsh nature of the world around him. Uh, William Eady uh, plays James Gillespie. Uh, also of note is uh, Leanne Mullen, who plays Margaret Ann, uh, a character that I'm sure we'll talk about uh, later in the podcast here. This was, as mentioned, uh, Lynn Ramsey's kind of full-length directorial debut. Uh, it uh, kind of did pretty well at a lot of uh, you know indie kind of award circuits and whatnot, um, but uh, I only mention Academy Awards because I'm a hack. So um, it propelled her career a little bit i guess i'll say uh, that's what i got you said one true thing in that whole summary and it was that you're a hack <laughs> thank you aaron for that wonderful yes. summary um i continue to be dazzled by lynn ramsey's directorial style in particular um so the first movie i ever saw of hers was uh you were never really here i still haven't seen i guess p- more people tend to seem to know uh, we need to talk about kevin just because of the star power in that movie um, then, uh, then you were never really here, but that's the first movie I ever saw by her. And I was just struck by, it. I was like, Oh, this 
cool brand new director is going to be like one of my new favorites. And it's like 25 years after her first movie came out. Um, but I like, she has this thing, which is, I think perfected in, uh, you were never really here where, and this is all I think about when I think about the movie is that there's no like actual violence in the movie, almost no actual violence in the movie. It always like cuts right in the moment of impact of a, like an instance of violence or even like plot impact moments. Uh, to like just show the immediate before and the immediate after, but and we kind of stew in that. And so when I was watching Lynn Rand, excuse me, uh, uh, Ratcatcher, that's what I was thinking of. That's sort of the lens I was applying to this movie is like, how is she going to like? Am I going to look back on that style and see her doing like a prototypical version of that? Is there like a reason that she, um, like, uh, you know, had like where did this come from? Did she hone this over time? Is this something that she just like really loves as her directorial style? Uh, and I was not displeased in how it's uh, sort of used in Ratcatcher, the inciting incident Aaron was talking about where um, James's friend dies by, I guess, just like, it's very almost vague. Uh, and I'm assuming intentionally almost vague where the main character, James pushes this kid in the river and then just kind of like he runs away and then you just see bubbles rising to the surface. And that's the implication that the kid is dead. Uh, that the whole plot has been shifted and that James is now like, you know, harboring a secret, so to speak. And then eventually we started to see like the news reports or not news reports, but we see, you know, grieving mother. We see, um, you know, James's mother sort of weeping over, you know, thinking that it was him that it was that had died in the canal. Uh, just like such stewing in the aftermath of a thing rather than like focusing on the thing is such a strong choice. I think it feeds a lot of the rest of the movie, what the movie is doing and how it's saying sort of the things that it's commenting on. Um, but I just like, Again, I think mechanically, that's just such an effective choice. How did you feel about it, Darren? Um, I will say, I actually, you're you're kind of making me see that that aspect is kind of in this film, that there is a lot of kind of, um, I think, maybe somewhat experimental editing and how it deals with some of those subjects um, that I think is uh, in, in You Were Never Really There. You Were Never Really There. You Were Never Really Here. You Were Never Really you were- Here here you were so. never really here um the also the first film i'd uh, i'd seen of ramsey's um i've not seen her other two films which i think are generally regarded as her her best um uh, i should see them but i will say that at least with this kind of flawed comparison uh, uh to that other film i do think that that there are elements of that in this film that i think are like kind of interesting i think there is one other somewhat similar technique she uses um, specifically when kind of showing, you know, the, the exploits and, and kind of stuff that James gets up to, which is the, the, um, showing a, a, a kind of an ambiguous moment that could be either extremely horrifying or kind of light and playful. I mean, yes, so the, the yeah. very opening shot is, uh, I believe it's actually Brian, the other kid. Holy God, uh, that fucking shot, dude. Off, like uh, he's he's draped up in uh, what is it? It's like a it's like a it's um it's a curtain, right? It's curtain. like a it's like a curtain. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and it, he's kind of spinning around in that curtain, and it's you're unaware if this is a kid that like hung himself or if he is suffocated in some manner. It kind of ends up that he's just kind of playing with it casually, right? But like the film is, I mean, I I think my kind of general view of the film is like about how there do exist kind of lighter moments in this very harsh environment. Even those lighter moments are at the same time, nevertheless, still extremely dark or it kind of perverted to be dark kind of in the end. And there's just like so many moments throughout the film that do that, that like even pl- kids, yes, kids playing kind of in a carefree manner in a Creek, like immediately turns 
very dark and violent mm-hmm. and horrifying due to just like the extremely stifling nature of, of the world that they live in. Um, and like, I, I think there is something comparable to how she, she shoots violence in you were never really here that like there it's feels very experimental, but like, I really dig what she's doing. Yeah. I love it. I love that term experimental for what she did, especially in 1999 in 2017. It feels like honed, like I said, but in 1999, like what a fucking choice. Um, while we're talking about just sort of like specific directorial decisions or editing, um, <clears throat> one thing I really like that Lynn Ramsey does that I, I think I agree with you, Jason, like it definitely shows up throughout her filmography, but she has this great way of, of very matter of factly cutting between sort of like still shots that are that are meant to convey um sort of like a very specific emotion and that cut forward in time often quite a bit right um i'm thinking about when we first find the um the kid drowned and the way it keeps cutting between the mom to like his hand right and then his face um these are often silent and they're very matter-of-factly presented in fact they're even very matter-of-factly framed right where all of a sudden uh we will cut from one shot that is sort of like happening in real time to a still shot that occupies the exact center of the frame and then back either forward hours or in some cases days in time or back to the original scene that we occupied and it does a really good job of just demonstrating how like these ideas and this grief and this trauma are really like hanging over the environment. These things are sort of like they occupy the exact same time and place, which is to to Aaron's point, right? This idea that like there is something like there is a a trauma um, or a, a sort of like an inequality that is literally pervasive over everything that occurs in this environment at this time and place that sort of like forces a reframing and a uh, different understanding of the events that unfold, even if they appear to be. And, and I think that I, what I really like about that is that um, it, I shouldn't say, even if they just appear to be lighthearted, the fact of the matter is that they are right. I think a really important part of this is that um, James is still a child, right? These are still children. These are still normal children right they're they're still growing developing they're, they're just still, innocent children they're innocent right they're what just normal just men, men? <laughs> they're just normal <laughs> men uh, uh but um sorry no no i thought, what a, I thought what a the same brutal thing diversion given your point <laughs> no no uh well but but you're literally right right this idea is that like these are still kids that are that are growing and developing but like um, I in in my view, right, is that the the real horror of this movie is that James is sort of like realizing that um, he his childhood is not free of the traumas that are unfolding around him. Right, in fact, they are going to be shaping it and his future and the future of all of these people, even if they can sort of quote unquote escape. Um, Let's just say Lynn Ramsey very clearly didn't have a super high opinion of the relocation project that happened in Glasgow <laughs> in the 1970s. Tell me uh, you hated say. the relocation project without telling me you hated, um, hated the relocation yeah, project. Just pretty... directed an entire movie about hating the relocation project. Right. And grew up. She was born. She was born in 69. Right. So mm, this nice. is like, especially with with the way that the female characters, just the shit that ends up happening to pretty much all of them in this film. It's like. I man, yeah, that's it's so rough to consider any yeah. sort of even semi like autobiographical 
you know, perspective yeah. of this film. Yeah. I guess I well, no longer go into her movies thinking that there's any object, excuse me, objectivity or like feigned objectivity toward it. Like she is a very like forward intentional director. Which, yes. Yeah. I think is, is to the films like warranted. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Um, so we've talked a lot about her, I mean, and I set it up to be like, she's got this style. She's there's this thing, at least that I, uh, you know, sort of pigeonhole her by. Um, but like, I also want to mention that she's just very, like I say she, but she and her crew, her cinematographer and editor and whoever else worked with her on this movie just have like, they're also very dynamic in this movie. Like I, for every example of like, Oh, a very quick cut or ambiguity in a shot. There's also like really long held shots. I, I hate to focus so much on the mechanics of this movie because there's so much more underneath the surface, but it is just like strikingly that it feels like, like with the budget of an amateur or like a feature of like a, a freshman feature film, um, but like just like made the most of with so many like really clever choices. There's a few shots I'll pull, probably pull up in our uh, second of last segment where there's just like long tracking uh, of, you know, a kid running or like sort of a zoom or pull at the field shots that are outside of the new relocated housing. Uh, just a lot of like really intentional there's this, like, this emotional cadence to the entire movie that brings you up and down and up and down and like toys with that in really interesting ways. And sometimes feels terrible to see something beautiful. I don't know that I've seen a movie by somebody else who's like that, like just that reliably, even though I know sort of what I'm getting in for that reliably upends expectations and still catches me off guard. Um, Cody, did this movie catch you off guard? Like it caught me. Uh, I mean, it didn't catch me completely off guard because I have seen all of Lynn Ramsey's Ooh. feature films. After this, uh, it has been a while since I've seen. Um, uh, we need to talk about Kevin, and you were never really here, so that's uh, those are uh, not infinitely rewatchable, but they're great and worth revisiting. Um, they are all um, troubling in ways that are maybe similar and maybe different from this one, but um, yeah, I mean, the, the types of things y'all are kicking around are the sorts of things that I kind of latched onto with this rush. I had not seen Ratcatcher before this. Um, but there, I feel like there are a lot of, um, yeah, like vibrant, fascinating things going on, um, getting done. I mean, it's been kicked around a few times, but the way that, um, Ramsey and friends, uh, create dynamic movement from like focusing on things that are static and inactive, um, like cutting around the action, like you guys have been talking about, like cutting between idle images to like, you know, like showcasing something by like focusing on the absence of it. And then you're, it's like, you're thinking about it. It's like, well, what happened to that kid that fell in the, in the Creek? Like what's happening with him? Whenever the kid who fell in the Creek is not on screen, all I'm thinking about is where's the kid who fell in the Creek uh, and so on and so forth. But, um, there's the way I kept coming back to, like, it feels like we are sitting in our own filth with this movie, literally, and like kind of figuratively, um, just like, with with things that are actual like bags of garbage but also like whenever this um this kid does something that's uh and that's another thing about um then ramsey's movies that is less like technical more thematic but just honing in on characters where they are tough to relate to or sympathize with at least on the surface and we spend the bulk of the rest of the movie trying to like find ways to sympathize with them or like maybe more appropriately in this case and in other cases like why that's not entirely their fault and like what sorts of things we need to um i don't know, just like content about you know for example this you know housing relocation project um you know where we see this this kid he's you know he's dumping salt everywhere he's uh he's spitting in beers he's 
killing all his friends. Uh, what's there's there's a reason for that, and we need to <laughs> we need to <laughs> just guys being dudes. Yeah, just guys being. But um, yeah, and and in that way, like I simultaneously think of it as like this movie is something of a sprint, but it's a sprint in such that like it's it's dense but like there's not there's not also like a lot of meat on the bone so like all of those things working in tandem together make for like a very confounding but like pretty rewarding uh watch and by the end of well not even by the end of it but like through those um like the sort of cadence we get of um like the editing style and everything else uh ramsey is definitely like as we we talk about with other movies here like the way the ways in which the director is training us to view certain things like i i see movement on the screen in Ratcatcher, and I like start to freak out. It's a fight or flight response. I see this group of uh, teenage boys, which is you know, always, whenever they're in motion, you know, bad things are coming. I, I fear for the safety of this mouse. I feel for the safety of of Da. Um, I you know, I, I I feel for everything. I feel for I feel for my well being in real life. Whenever I see a, a real live group of teenage boys as well, but within the scope of the film, yeah, I don't know. So that's <laughs> uh, yeah, all that is to say, yeah. What what your what you and and everybody else here is saying, Jason. A lot of that resonated with me. Um, yeah, we're we're catching rats out here, right? Mm-hmm it's it's like a it's like catching rats out of here um i do like that you've sort of helped pivot the conversation toward the thematic because i did i didn't want to focus too much on, on the mechanical or, or stylistic but um thematically like this movie still has like i said a lot running underneath of it there's a lot of context which again I, none of us are scottish or born in 1969 so none of us are going to have the same context but a lot going on about uh like the social political context at the time there is a um a workers strike going on at the present time there's obviously this relocation project which is just sort of compounding issues um and like in the middle of that all there are two main things that i pull out of there uh one being like the sort of like lack of guidance that a, that an entire generation of children is receiving at a really critical moment in time like for some of them coming of age for some of them becoming teenagers some of them younger um and like the sort of uh goings on of adult lives that will like necessarily betray them that will or see, deprive them of that uh, of like any form of guidance or any form of like like these kids don't appear to be in school i'm not sure if it's school times um these uh like they they're they're left unsupervised for the entire day now that this is like an inherently bad thing but that this is like these children have no forms of role models. So you can sort of see the pipeline directly from somebody like James to that gang of roving teenagers who, uh, you know, attacks the dad at, at one point, uh, they seem to sexually assault Margaret multiple times. Um, there's, and you know, they throw glasses in the river and everything. You sort of see the direct pipeline there and you see that these are the, like the conditions you're watching the movie, uh, depict are the exact ones that you can see turning somebody like James, seemingly fairly like little you know bastard shitter but not like an uh, a complete like demon kid turning somebody like that into like just a complete nuisance uh i mean on on top of that like i it's it's all i can think of to like it's gonna get gross but the term refractory period usually applies to i guess or post-orgasm but like the the concept of how long we spend yeah i know harry harry scratching his chin the concept let him like, cook <clears throat> How long we spend in the aftermath of an incredibly traumatic event in this movie matters. <laughs> I mean, to tie the thematic content to sort of the mechanical that I was talking about before, um, every time that something terrible happens, we spend so little time with the terrible thing and so much time with how James responds to it, how his family responds to it, sure. how his friends respond to it. And I know like I'm sort of like repeating again what I've said, but I think that really matters in the context of this movie because there's just thing after thing after thing that affects this kid's 
day, his his weeks, his life entirely. And like the, it makes those moments when like he experiences something that isn't traumatic, that is positive or uplifting or beautiful, like the new re- housing redevelopments where he gets to just run in a field alone or he, you know, sort of starts this you know, inappropriate, but like seemingly joyful, little, uh, playful romance with, with Margaret Ann, uh, these moments that are like impactful in a positive way for his life. We do the same thing. We spend so much time in the aftermath of it. So little time, like showing us the transit to his new house or how he lands, you know, sort of next to Margaret Ann and so much time in the aftermath of it. And that like sort of, again, refractory period is I think really important for how this movie flows and how, like how it is showing in contrast, in direct contrast to, uh, there's one example specifically that just goes clownishly above and beyond to, I think, drive this home. I think everybody would probably pick up on it, but, um, like how long we spend in those moments materially affects like how the movie moves, how, how like you feel about it and sort of like the story that it ends up telling, because yes, we could just mire and I love the phrase, like, the word, I forget if you said wallowing in our own filth, but we are in our, in our own filth with this, Cody. Like, like there's so much scene setting, gar- bags of garbage everywhere, dead dogs, for Christ's sakes. The the canal rots people's skin off. It's really just an absolute hellhole. It's just bedlam. But in those, even in those, like, the moments that stick out to me that I'll remember from this movie are those moments of, like, I guess, sordid joy or, like, a certain beauty that he finds in his, that James finds in his life. And I think it's because of that style that we're able to pull those out. It's sort of that contrast between the violence and trauma of life that exists in, the, especially at such a you know formative age for James. But like between that and the moments that he cherishes, that that he holds on to, that kids. I'm just using James as like an entry point to adolescence in this area and time. But like that he's able to experience, that they are able to experience, that they are able to hold on to, and sort of like try to get the most out of. And I think like those the same tools being applied two ways. Um, where we just sit with how it feels to have experienced a thing. This is, sounds really stupid. It sounds really basic. It's what every movie does with anything. But I think it like is really pointed, just trims all the fat off of any moment that isn't absolutely essential and lets us focus on the right things in the aftermath of it. Um, Harry, were you able to pull out even a single thread from all that? Or was it very just much? Thank metal? you. Okay. Yeah, no, I think I think that was good. Um, I think that what you're pointing to is something that I really wanted to talk about, which is that um, I think that having both the... Um, moments of sort of affirmation of the possibility of humanism as depicted in this movie, which is basically the idea, right, that no matter their circumstances, humans are always trying to become good people. It's the the metaphor is like the flower that bloomed in the dark room, right? The the flower is always stretching towards the sunlight whenever possible. We see plenty of evidence of that in this movie, right? James is trying as hard as he can to hold on to things that he loves, to hold on to tender things, to hold on to things that he cares about, right? Um, but I think that this is ultimately a movie that is not it's not anti-humanist necessarily, because I think that, again, there there's lots of evidence of the possibility of humanism and even like how resilient humans are. Right. Like even James's dad is not wholly a monster. Right. He is an alcoholic. He's abusive. Uh, but he also is a quote unquote hero. He saves another kid in the canal. Yeah. He the last time we see him, he's dancing with his wife. Right. Who his long suffering wife, whom they do not get along very well. He is not kind to her, but they still have this sort of connection. Um, however, I think that like, and I, I don't mean to sort of like, um, like you had said, I'm not an expert uh, at all, but I think that this movie is really like taking on this 
um, perversion of this humanist ideal that can sometimes be extended too far to this sort of like um, liberal poptimism. This mm, idea yes. that that like because humans are resilient, if we can just sort of like give them better circumstances, things are all just going to work out, which is sort of epitomized by this relocation project, right? This idea that, which is a real thing, right? That in the 1970s in Glasgow, uh, Glasgow, excuse me, um, the, the Scottish government was like, well, we have all of these slums that are made up of these ancient buildings that are literally rotting and falling apart and extremely marginalized, extremely poor individuals are living here. Let's just move them somewhere else and it'll all be fine. Right. Because people are resilient. Children are resilient. Everything's going to work out and be fine. I think that this movie is basically about how that's not true. Right. Right. About, I, about how, like, you can't just correct a problem overnight because, like, all of these things that have happened, all of these traumas that these people have experienced, all of these systemic inequalities, they have created scars that can't be healed yeah. just like that right there's, it's like even for children specific sorry. moment i'm sorry I, I i hate to interject but it's like the perfect example of this i think is when um the dad is talking to the i forget the mom's again these characters aren't given repeated names um the dad is talking to the mom uh again they don't get along very well but she's talking he's talking about like painting the walls a beautiful pale blue and she says uh what's the point we're moving and he says i maybe and then there's just silence just a beat just like that tells you everything you need to know about how those two people feel about that specific project, you know, about what's going on and sort of their context there. Right. I, again, like, and maybe broader what the movie is saying about like, there's not really progress here, you know, which like it's, it's worth noting that Lynn, Lynn Ramsey is pretty specific, like literally like she even depicts the fact that that relocation was means tested in this movie, right? There's yeah. a council that comes to their door and like wants to inspect the current state of their property to make sure they deserve to move or whatever. And it's like, wait, what? Like, what the fuck, yeah. man? Uh, but, but you know, and, and we see it all the time, right? We're like, there are these kids who are, who are still sort of desperately trying to, um, to have something, right? Like there's Snowball, the mouse, and the fact that even when they kill Snowball, they rationalize it as Snowball going to the moon, a place where all the rats can live and be happy together. Uh, pretty clear parallel to um, the relocation project, the field that James runs through, right? This idea that there is this, there, there's this carrot. Um, that these characters are, are running toward right throughout this movie. It's this idea that there is a promised land outside of where they are now, where if they can just get there, they can be who they are supposed to be, or they can finally sort of heal. Um, this movie is ultimately clearly very pessimistic about that. It is suggesting that these things that are done to you or that happen to you in an environment like this, they leave a mark on who you are that is not so simple to erase, right? It makes you into, like you had said, Jason, there is this very clear pipeline between James being the age he is, the gang of like serial rapists being who they are, and James's father being who he is. It's clear to see how the sort of crushing boredom and despair and frustration manifests in this sort of like retributive cruelty that is redistributed right where like the minute they have something that they can that they can pick on that they can abuse because they themselves have been so abused it makes them feel a little bit more in control right it, and and even james himself we see sort of like fall victim to that line of thinking first with his original friend in the canal and then with his second friend the um they call him the the, the animal boy. Kevin, <laughs> right? I think. Ke is it yeah, Kevin? I, is it Kevin? 
No, it might it be, Kenny be Kev- or- No, Kenny. it can't be Kevin. Kenny, okay. <laughs> we need to talk about Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> we need to talk about uh, this movie I made 20 years ago. Yeah. I guess it's it, that is actually a very good segue to um, the specific scene I was talking about before where I believe like we are seeing them through the character's eyes, sort of his context. It's It's got to be like Snowball going to the moon is like the... It's the one thing that I didn't expect from this movie. One is that like this sort of very strange. It fucking crushed me, man. To, to, to describe, oh my god! To describe, um, so Kenny is, uh, he he's he's a little animal boy. He receives a rat or a small mouse, like a white mouse, for his birthday, and he receives along with it in the cage a a, a helium balloon. Um, just a nice bright thing on his birthday. He brings it out to the children and teens uh, and all of them take turns, like sort of half torturing it. They toss it between each other. They like squeeze him too hard in his, in their hands and stuff. And then finally, Kenny succumbing to some pressure, like, <laughs> okay. Uh, James is sort of dared to throw the mouse as well. And he says, uh, you know, I'm not going to throw it. He decides, uh, decides not to gives it back to Kenny. Kenny goes back inside and then out his window says, Hey, everybody, look, uh, <laughs> snowball's going to the moon. And he's tied the helium balloon to the to the tail of this live mouse and sends it off into the stratosphere, and it just disappears into the distance. But we do not close yeah. there. We do not close there, dear listener, because we actually do get like a not incredibly well animated, but just beautifully bizarre sequence where Snowball is superimposed over like a moving image of the rotating moon, and it's implied that he actually is going to the moon. Right. And he lands and starts a small colony of white mice because this balloon is given a promised land, right? A promised yeah. land. And like, obviously it's got the parallels to the relocation project, but also like, I mean, we sort of come back from this, uh, scene in a moment of, I believe it's, it comes back to James sleeping on the couch. Right. Um, so like clearly he sort of, without warning, we were just thrown into a fantasy sequence, maybe not a direct dream sequence as explained by plot, but, sort of this fantasy in response to what I'm presumed for James, he was the one who tried to save the, the mouse's life is like, again, a response to some trauma. I mean, a slightly minor, more minor trauma to like the death of his childhood friend in the canal, but like still a traumatic event watching this live mouse tortured flying up to the moon. Like it's just that movie, or excuse me, that sequence let me, left me both like jaw agape because it was like, and again, a complete surprise, but also what a fucking like incredible mix of the like terrifyingly sad and like I was stuck halfway between crying and laughing. It sounds goofy to say that, but it was actually like very sad and very bizarre humorous at the same time. I had no idea that sequence was coming. Um, how did it make everybody else feel? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I mean, I think that, that, that scene is doing a bunch of stuff that I kind of want to talk about in relation to this movie. First of all, I think you're right. Like, I think it's first, it's like symbolism of the impossible dream that things are going to be all right for these kids. Right. And this, this like very admirable and and beautiful, um, innocence of of children that like, no matter what's, what's done to them, what's inflicted on them, there is going to be like, they can be okay. Like they can find a better place. They're going to be untouched by or they're going to be able to um, sort of like save themselves from it. This, this again, it's it's only ever portrayed as a dream in this. And and by the end of it, I think a really important part of James's character arc is like the last um, conversation he has with Kenny is he tells Kenny like Snowball's dead, you killed him. And then Kenny's like, we're not friends anymore, actually. And by the way, I saw you kill your last best friend, uh, Wild. Um, the other yeah. thing is that like, I think that that scene is in sort of like, micro it's a microcosm of this this um other idea that that lynn ramsey is is in my opinion like really like strongly um 
sort of like fighting against, which is this idea that like under under this sort of like liberal optimism idea, there there's this idea that like, well, like these kids, there are going to be kids that aren't affected by this. And therefore, like uh, kids that are there's this sort of implication that's never spoken, but always there. But it's like, well, like gang members and uh, and people who do succumb to sort of like the violence of their environment, they're bad people, therefore, right? Because there are people like James and like Kenny who are sort of like sensitive, good kids. And therefore, like those other kids that aren't as sensitive are bad, actually. And this scene is really good at depicting like, no, like, like Kenny and James, like maybe they were more sensitive, but like everyone's affected by this. Everybody is sort of like warped by it, right? Like even the, even the Kenny's, are going to end up killing rats. They're going to end up being rat catchers by the end of this movie, right? This kid who once loved animals is going to end up sending his pet rat to the moon is going to end up smashing rats with uh, a stick, right? Because they're rooting through the garbage. Um, So I, I really like that idea because like, it's not, it's, it's sympathetic in all the right ways, right? It's like, it's demonstrating that like, even these like, everything came from somewhere, right? There's not this sort of like washing your hands idea. There's, there's a really great sort of like refusal to, um, to not accept responsibility happening in this movie. Right. It's, it's like, this is all something's fault. Someone's fault. It's, it's, it's all something that was created. It's not something that was inherent. Yeah. Uh, no, very true. Really well characterized. Uh, Kenny, Kenny has a couple banger scenes that uh, I find myself thinking about a lot. And like in retrospect, they kind of feed off of each other um, in this loop that is, is really uh, genuinely, um, I think, very cool, um, but also very bleak. And that the scene with Snowball, I was like, by this point, I felt very well trained in on like the types of bleak sort of, uh, you know, the, the space I was in, what sort of sad, bleak things to expect and i was i was sitting on pins and needles just being like please for the love of god let snowball be okay um and it, the the cult, the way that that scene culminated and we're, we're jettisoned into outer space to mouse world like it was still like i was also draw agape jason but there was a sense of relief that i felt in that snowball was not like taken from kenny it was something that Mm. like perhaps due to his own twisted sense of reality and like his perception of the control that he has over that reality there was something inside him that just snapped and was like before like this mouse is going to die sooner rather than or this rat or this rodent is going to die sooner rather than later because of just all, any number of things, the fact that right outside my, you know, door, like I can't show off this mouse to a friend without it getting tossed around by, um, by serial rapists. And maybe that played into sending him off to, to the nice, um, mouse haven in the sky. I'm hmm. not really sure, but I, I think that that paired with his final, um, his, his final scene with James where he, there's almost like Kenny has this, uh, I don't know, this is a, again, I could be completely off base, but he has this um, reality he's created for himself. And there's this sort of this kinship that he has that he feels with James and um, you know, Kenny for all intents and purposes probably has a sense that he killed this mouse. Um, maybe he feels better to imagine that he did send it off right. to a better place. Um, and then for James to come in and like ruin that reality for him to like take that away from him. There's something Kenny says, you know what? Nope. 
fuck it, we're not friends anymore. And uh, oh, by the way, this reality you live in where you can just ignore this um, this friend of yours that like not, you know, not died by his hand, but um, feels very much so that way. Um, like right. remember that you did that. And also like I saw that you did that. So that is a thing that exists for you now, just in the way that I'm being reminded of this thing that is very painful. So those are, yeah, yeah, those are very, those are, those are tough scenes. I didn't think uh, about in vacuums in together. Yeah. yeah I didn't sorry. think about that as no, I, I'm stepping on your toes, but I didn't think about it. It's just blowing my mind because I didn't think about sending snowball to the moon as like a survival tactic. I thought it was sort of a fit in thing, you know, maybe it's both, you know, it, it serves both purposes, but for Kenny to like, just compartmentalize what was happening to this thing that he loved as like, I am sort of creating a better a better reality, a better like future for both myself and this thing that I loved for the day that for the half day that I had it. Um, I didn't think about that because like, again, the, just the absurdity of the scene in itself uh, is like, was enough to capture my attention and just keep me thinking this actually, this thing actually just happened in this movie that I had no idea was coming. Um, I, man, I really love that read though. I really love that read too. And I, I think that it is both. And to get to Aaron's, like at Aaron's original point, right? Like the idea is that it's both specifically because it's like, that is how Kenny is trying to make a better world for this thing that he loves. And that is the sort of like universal effect that this situation is having on these people, right? Is that they never stop trying to do like what's to to make a better world for people they love. It's just that what they can do and what they think is right is obviously like warped both by their, their, um, their own ability and by what they, what they sort of like come to internalize as their values or not their value systems, but like what they can do to affect change and what they want to do to affect change. Right. Is like everything becomes violent. Right. Like I think that like they're extending that idea, this sort of like Kenny quote unquote, sending his mouse to the moon, sending him away. It's like something that everybody in this is doing on one level or another, right? Like bringing home the paint, even though they're about to move or, you know, uh, James jumping into the canal at the end of the movie, right? Like I, it's, it's fully sort of extended outward. This idea that like, this is, this is what you do when you, when you don't have the resources to do anything else. And it's, you are affected by that. Yeah. It, it's not just that, it's not just that it's hard to make the right decisions. It's that it is literally impossible to make the decision that will lead to a better outcome. Right. Like, there and so are, you have to pretend that the decision you can make is better, right? Yes. That you, or, yeah. or default to the, the most negative decision, right. At the, at the, at the end. Right. Um, I, you know, like there is, and, and this is like kind of very much following the, the history of like, the economy at this point, specifically for Scotland, like the the I, the sixties and seventies, where I believe like extremely rough in regard to like unemployment. Right, this is something that is like very much shown in regard to like James's father, who's like out of work. Right, they are like um, purposely like avoiding their landlord coming by to tell them that like the rent is due. Right, and they haven't paid in a while. Um, there are like macro level issues that are causing problems yet for these kids they are like unable to even it's like so far like out of the scope of anything they understand which I, I do like there is like a weird kind of empathetic viewpoint that the film has for pretty much every character in this except for like 
you know, whatever the the equivalent of the welfare people are that come by and are, are judging, you know, their family and whatnot. But like even the bullies who are like horrible, horrible people, um, I think that they are always placed in context of uh, where, you know, the environment around them uh, that kind of led them to be who they are. And I think we see that with a character like Kenny, who, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons why he ties, you know, his little rat to a to a balloon and like kind of hoist it up in the air. But I think a lot of that is like peer pressure, right? It is purely him trying to uh, uh, please this group of people. I think we we see even even Margaret Ann, someone who is like abused very much by all of these uh, boys, still wants to kind of be in their good graces in a manner. Um, and it's like, it's just so obvious how these kids grow up, uh, you know, in a few years, they're kind of doing the exact same thing down the line. It's, it's really depressing. Um, it is, it is really depressing. And like you describe them as, uh, like issues that the kids don't understand or that they like seek refuge from in a way. I think, I think James is interesting in that he's like on the cusp of understanding that. I think somebody like Margaret Ann might be aware of like what it means that they're being relocated or what it means that like maybe her dad doesn't have a job or whatever situation is actually facing her specifically. But James is just like still between that very adolescent. Like the only thing I have to worry about today is whether or not I'm like uh, boots over pants or pants over boots today. Yeah. Um, and like, again, the social socioeconomic conditions that lead to them like developing disease and not, knowing where they're going to get their next meal and all these kinds of things. So he's before that sort of maturity, but after like in that complete coming of age middle space, perfect character for yeah. that. Um, I, I love that. Like, I mean, it, it would lead me to talk, start talking about the ending. Cause I think it like really fulfills that. Like it sort of seeds that with all these problems that he addresses, that he sees that he either ignores or is like just part of. And then at the end, I think sort of comments on how, like what resources kids have to deal with that, i.e. kind of none. Um, but I'm going to let Harry take the mic for one last thing before we get there. Yeah, well, just a couple of, I mean, first of all, to speak really quickly to your last point, um, it's really worth noting and really smart the way that uh, in this movie, like the effects that uh, that this environment and the system that these people are victimized by um, they're visited on their bodies over and over again, right? That's a recurring symbol. There's the lice in the hair. There's the rash that develops. There's even um, James's father's face is covered in scars where people have slashed his face with a knife. Um, that happens again near the end of the movie because he's trying to care for something innocent. Very uh, real, by for the way. Once Very real Glasgow in, oh, smile yeah. on Tommy Flanagan. Right, yeah. Um, amazing looking, unfortunately, uh, even if it's sort of like a horrible <laughs> thing to like, um, sorry about it. Tommy, I mean, he's got but, a great uh, face. Uh, it's funny. I, I Googled, like I looked him up cause I recognize his face and then I was like, Oh, I know what that is. That's called a Glasgow smile. I look yeah. up a Glasgow smile. He is literally the Wikipedia image for Glasgow smile. Cause he must is be one really? of the few people big enough to have survived it. But yeah, Jesus he is, like, Christ. Go to Wikipedia and it's his face. Wow. That's crazy. And appropriate, I guess. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, I think it's really important that like, it's maybe not again, because this, this, um, movie wisely i think takes the point of view of children it's not really like like taking on in a a very direct way like the ways in which this system was created by and sustained by um like policy right but that is still a part of this movie for instance i'm thinking of like when the literal militarized scabs come to clean up the uh trash in the neighborhoods they're wearing full military garb right they're in camo they all wear masks 
which is a really like striking image to see when there are children, unmasked children running around in this environment that these adults that came from outside it feel is so toxic that they have to mask up just to be a part of it. And then literally in that scene, like these kids are scrambling to like grab things from the garbage and kill rats that are under the garbage and being swatted away by these men. Right. So it's like we can literally see the hierarchy playing out in real time. There is that like the reason why these these systems of cyclical cruelty repeat themselves that Aaron was alluding to, right? This idea that the minute you have something weaker than you, you have to pick on it to make yourself feel like you have some control or to make your yourself feel like you're higher than something on the hierarchy. The reason why that is being perpetuated in the first place is because of these people that are above all of these others, right? That everybody we see in this movie exists on this continuum, this hierarchical continuum where they are being oppressed themselves by people outside, right? That like these slums are being like this is this is targeted neglect, right? This is targeted uh, alienation and targeted um, marginalization by powers outside of and above these people, right? Like like this economic precarity is created and sustained by the types of people that we see in the military garb at the end of this movie, and so it's like. This is this is a movie about what a system like that does to children and the fact that in my opinion very clearly like the the effect that even the child imagination is not free from it right I think that 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 there is like this ongoing battle for the soul of James right this idea that innocence can still exist in an environment like this that in fact innocence can be preserved from childhood to adulthood in an environment like this, even if it's only in the imagination of the child, this movie is saying that is not possible, right? There is nothing that this system doesn't touch, that this system can't corrupt. Um, and it, it doesn't mean that it's not there, right? It doesn't mean that there is no such thing as childhood innocence, is there is no such thing as good people. There are good people in systems like these all the time. It's just that they can't escape from this system that they're a part of, right? I think that that's what even the ending is trying to depict here. The idea that childhood wonder, that childhood joy, et cetera, it, it doesn't exist is is false here. Like you see a lot of the mechanics of them enjoying like playing the river or catching animals and like, you know, just ribbing each other and stuff. But it is that is like directly suppressed, that it is limited by like, again, those higher power hierarchies at which we're only like hinted uh, until later in the movie when we actually see the masked um, binmen as they're called in Scotland, I guess showing up to like clear the trash and like uh, try and make things clean and orderly again. Um, we only see on the TV once in a while when a reporter is like, the conditions are getting worse here. Shit's all fucked up. Uh, nobody has any recourse and the strike on, you know, continues. Um, but it's like in that, uh, in that milieu of like all these problems that continue piling up that like, uh, that James experienced either personally or sort of letter visited upon him from the hierarchies above his head. Uh, like it is in that, that um, they finally get uh, like it's it, after the um, strike is called up rather not called off, but after the scabs come in and start, uh, you know, performing the work anyway and clearing the trash uh, James, again, he has that scene with Kenny where he like admits to him, you killed your own uh, animal, you killed your own pet. And Kenny admits back, like it's just a very like, the sort of like veil has lifted and nobody is subscribing to this idea anymore of like the, the false, like the falsehoods that we've, that we've, these myths that we told ourselves about like the last, however long this has been going on, this specific, you know, months, weeks, whatever, however long it is, uh, that these things are sort of crumbling down that James decides to throw himself in the river. And we see almost an identical shot 
of uh, just the water bubbling, like the implication that there's just breath leaving somebody's body and him floating in the water. And then slow fade toward the end where his family is seen walking through the same field that he played in in the new redeveloped housing. Uh, and they're just carrying individual pieces of furniture. Clearly, like it's it's fantastical. It's it's like an imaginative, uh, a speculative, like positive thing. But does that like does that line up to you, Harry, with um, with respect to like sort of like what these kids have been telling themselves about, like how they survive, how they get through these these many trials, these like things that they will not understand that James will never get the chance to understand, but that most of them just don't understand and how they like sort of compartmentalize and and respond to it is through just fantastical imagining. Yeah, well, and and that that's a perfect example of one other sort of like mechanical signature of Lynn Ramsey, which is the other foot dropping, right, which really like works well in this movie, because I think that one of the things this movie is doing is is demonstrating that like, and and this is, I think, the, the greatest horror of the movie, right, is there there's this idea that like, oh, because kids don't understand what's happening and what's happening to them, they won't be permanently affected by it. This movie is saying they do. Like kids absolutely know what's happening to them. They can feel it. <laughs> and and like even if they can't sort of like rationalize it, even if James can't like give you a history lesson about like the imposition of precarity upon the marginalized classes under capitalism, right? He knows it's happening to him. He knows that like that something is happening that is changing the way that he thinks, that is changing the way that he feels forever, and he is reacting to that in the best way he knows how, right? And like, I I think that like, and and what I'm talking about here is the other foot dropping is that Lynn Ramsey doesn't even let us sit in the uh, the sort of final fantastical image, right? We see James smile in in the field of his dreams, right? And then literally over the credits, the last shot of the movie is his body in the river, right? Like just in case you didn't realize that that was not a real image, right? Because I think that's that's really important to the movie, right? Is this idea that like, no, you have to understand, right? Like, these your imagination, the sort of like the idea that these that these kids are still developing, it's not going to save them. Right. Like like there is no brighter tomorrow for the for these people. Right. Like we time is up, so to speak. Right. Um, I, I think that that, yes, yeah. it's it's a it's a demonstration of the the limitations of the, the sort of childhood uh, refuge in imagination. And furthermore, an indictment that we should ever make children rely upon those means. Exactly. Right. I mean, especially when we're like when we when like now that we subscribe to like we support but that we just must accept a certain level of like, oh, the power hierarchies that exist above these people of, of a lower class. Like none of these people have blue collar jobs, or excuse me, white collar jobs. All of them have presumably uh, blue collar jobs. Like they celebrate each other's wins, excuse me, um, uh, victories. They, uh, the, you know, as a community, they they sort of like live among the same condition. Um, they are existing under those hierarchies that you described before. So it's like not that these kids can, like that change cannot start from, these children there's no like you know young uh there's no youth revolt here it's it's all like aligned with that designed power structure um and that it's the responsibility of grown powerful adults to change that system as it is or else it'll just keep being visited upon generations and generations james is and james's and james's over and over yeah Um, i'm I love where we've gotten with this, with uh, like a discussion of this movie. We're coming up on just about an hour. Was there anything else that anybody wanted to get out of their system about the movie? Any other final thoughts uh, before we final into our, excuse me, 
Jesus, before we funnel to our final segment, us. Um, I mean, I've, I think that we did a good job of stating this already, but like, I think that that gets at the heart of why I like this movie so much. Just this idea that like, I feel like there is this very pervasive idea. And even though it's easy to discredit logically, I think it still remains intergenerationally, uh, in a weird way that like the kids are going to be all right. Right. This idea that like, Oh, but history, the, like the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. Right. Or that, Oh, like, like these kids are going to develop better, uh, coping skills and, and mores and sort of like, uh, like they'll be better people than we were. Right. And we don't actually have to do anything about that. It's just going to sort of happen. Right. And like, it'll especially happen if we can just put them in a better place. We don't actually have to like address the systems and the, that these kids are growing up in. We don't actually have to like look inside ourselves to understand what we built and why and what it's doing. We can just sort of wait and things will work themselves out. I think this movie is about as like stark a rejection of that notion as is imaginable. <laughs> right. For sure. They, they should. They should teach people in Scotland how to swim. They should have some sort of swimming classes. I you know well, made note of that as well. That seems like it would yeah. solve a lot of problems. I mean, it does make sense, I guess, because like I don't know, there's just like a it's not like it's fucking swimming pools. It's, it's the it's the, there. it's the heavy 1970s like high quality clothing is the thing. Like it was just much denser, much warmer. Sure. You need it for Everybody's those wearing climates. Duck boots. Everybody's they wearing just duck boots. Suck up all that water <laughs> and and real heavy. jackets. It's like stones. Yes, <laughs> they they knew how to swim. They just physically could not in this uh, six foot deep. All that tweed canal. just just turns. <laughs> to 500 pounds the minute you get it wet uh cody aaron i'll leave the uh, the drawer uh open to both of you for any final thoughts before we get to our segments our fun little jokey segments uh shout out to i've heard this in a few movies and it always it makes me happy just because i don't always have the best ear for picking up like familiar tunes especially one that is um, with a, a scattered of filmography as this, uh, it's Gassenhauer by from Carl Orff. And I'm looking at the movies it's in. I think I first heard it in True Romance, and then subsequently heard it in Badlands. It was in Mad God as well. I think it's um, Fish Tank as well, which we talked. Is it in oh, Fish Tank? Really? I talked about I that before the. Uh, bef- did you, have you seen episode. Fish Tank? I have Aaron? not, but I believe okay. it is in that movie. Cody, well, which Tank uh, is very clearly very inspired by this movie in a mm-hmm. lot of ways, so that makes sense. Yeah. Which is yeah. is that the song playing in the segment with the field or uh, with when the uh, I believe it's when Snowball's getting sent up to the stratosphere. Uh, it's that that one. Gotcha. It's okay. I don't know if that'll be. I don't know if that'll be the end credit. There are a lot of uh, options for um, end of episode songs. Shout but, out, to uh, yeah, Carl Orff. Shout it. Yeah, I just wanted to, to gas up Gas and Howard. Know what I mean? To gas I mean? up the gas man himself. That's what Lynn Ramsey was uh, yeah, making I mean. that first movie about. Aaron, you did the lip smack thing. It indicates to me that maybe you have something to say, either about gas and how or about the movie. I got nothing. I, wow. I will just reiterate that uh, that, sh- that shot of him sitting at the windowsill. Hey, man, I mean, we're, I, we're I, about I, to get into that. We're about to get into it, and that was, was of course, my answer to whatever it, it may is. It is also my answer what, yeah. to whatever. Oh, wow. Uh, You're being very respectful of our bits. <laughs> I will just say, based on my 50% uh, completion rate of, of Linz Ramsey's uh, film filmography, I will say that I, I do think that like part of the reason why I, I feel like when people discuss her, they tend to focus on like the mechanics of her filmmaking. Me too. Uh, 
maybe a little bit more than they do like the the content to the film otherwise um and i think that like that's not like a negative thing i think she is just like she is so clearly one of the directors who is like willing to put those kind of experimental touches into a film and just like does it i think kind of so flawlessly yeah um sound editing and design to like little things that like oh my god i think a lot of people don't really think about too much myself included i don't think about it as much as i should but like it's kind of impossible to not think about that once you kind of know to look for it when watching her stuff exactly Um, exactly you know the thing is if she wants me to pay attention to the themes of the story she just needs to be worse at making movies she just needs to like sure dumb it down for all of us a one camera sitcom setup you know yeah, maybe she if she can cue, do doesn't need to be laugh just track, one, maybe just one person laughing, just like a ha 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 when something funny happens. That would send me exactly where I need to be to watch all these movies and really understand them. Um, but <laughs> Stop communicating visually <laughs> in your movie. <laughs> Simply hand me the script. I will understand everything. Yes. Uh, well, thanks, guys, for uh, that. I'm going to close the drunk drawer and open up the. I have no idea. Good grief. Give me the a gift, gift drawer. Please. The gift drawer <laughs> separately. Got a lot of drawers, drawer. man. It's uh it's a fucking map room in here. Um we have uh so let me know what gifts, what images or shots you want to see from this movie as the episode gif. I'm still trying to download the movie, full disclosure, so hoping it actually happens. I've been really derelict in a few of these because the torrents don't fucking come through. Seed. Please seed your torrents. Cody, any thoughts? Um, yeah, I, first off, right away, I'll, I'll get seating those torrents for you, sir. Um, f- at 41.33 thereabouts, um, there's a really cool shot where James uh, is in that house and he goes out the window Bastard. and, and, and <laughs> into, into a, a, a field. Uh, it's a cool shot. Maybe you've heard of it or maybe you've seen it. Um, the other one I did note, well, I, I noted um, just before that, around 39.03, it's like him rounding the corner into that that new world of like the neighborhood or like that i don't know that block it's like that couple house block of, that's still like being developed and he's just like taken in with all of it and within 10 seconds of being there he just starts like roughhousing not like he's like digging up dirt with a shovel or something it was just like very um like playful and yeah. inspiring and, and very cool but then i was like wow i've got a really great pick for this segment and then lynn ramsey was like um here hold my beer i'm lynn ramsey i don't know what kind of beer she um <laughs> hold then, my yeah, guess a couple minutes later yeah yeah um, lynn ramsey so yeah, was are, like go into the kitchen and grab me a beer if you're gonna be here all day <laughs> and i was like hold uh, my scotch, yes madam hmm. Ooh. is this getting racist i don't know <laughs> maybe a little uh, it's scottish race the scots they're, they're known for i you know yes uh, colloquially uh, yeah, being they're known for so much you know they make my, the best uh, alcohol I'll just say it. What's, best what's alcohol. The, uh, Are we about to test Harry's That's a different uh, podcast. Scotch? That's a different podcast. That's fair. That's fair. Different yeah. pod. Different well, pod. you start drink pod. And in the meantime, uh, I'll ask drink you, uh, Harry, for yeah, drink pod. Harry, for your uh, give me a gift grief. Well, first of all, the obvious one, right around 41 minutes, James takes a piss into a toilet that isn't hooked up. And the piss just goes ahead and drains right out the bottom. And we get to watch it sort of like pool below the uh, toilet. Just in case you want to know the time timestamp on that bad boy. I think that would be quite a quite a gif. Um, right before that, actually, there's a really good shot of him in the um the 
apartment that's still being put together where the camera circles and sees him on one side and then circles the entire empty room and then finds him on the other side. I really like that shot. Um, really, one of the most heartbreaking images, in my opinion, of the entire um, movie is is right around 5840, I think I recorded it. It's uh, Margaret Ann when she's taking... Um, a bath and she starts holding her sorry I dropped my phone um, she starts drop like uh, holding her breath under the water and she does the perfect blue shot and then it, it cuts to James watching her and he just starts to cry um, holy shit is that a really powerful evocation of what trauma feels like it's like hey all of a sudden like things that shouldn't make you feel terrible do uh, yeah. and you know why kind of but you oof and then um, finally I think you mentioned it uh, Jason and I didn't get a timestamp for it, but they do the Mabarosi shot where James is running uh, in parallel to the canal and you can see his reflection in the water as they're both running. Um, I noticed that almost every, I, Cody, I think you mentioned this, but almost every time the camera is moving in this movie, uh, people are moving inside the shot as well. Just one more little Lynn Ramseyism that's really, really cool and uh, dynamic. Just one more Ramseyism before we... Uh- I know the junk drawer is closed, but um, shout out to anybody listening who knows when Harry says the Mabaroshi shot, knows what Harry is talking about when he says the Mabaroshi shot. Um, <laughs> you will have ascended to the top tier of our Patreon. Please continue I, with the bit. I almost promised that there's one person who would get that reference. I think there's probably a few. I feel like. You think right? I mean, not, not the reference to Mabaroshi. I got to watch it again. The, the fact that reference to the, the fact that we've, yeah. Pod. Yeah. Yes. Okay, it's sure. an it's an internal thing. Um, uh, Aaron, yeah. you 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 chimed up. Uh, do you it's have the, any? There's there's I, look, we can dance around it. There's we one answer to this it. that we're gonna use. So what do we? It's the shot with the fucking field, man. I mean, it's a really good shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what are we doing? It's 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 yeah. I was like, oh shit, you know what I mean? I did one of those when I was watching it, and I was by myself at home. It's not like I was even you know around somebody who would have been impressed by my understanding of beautiful filmmaking. I was just mm. talking to myself. Yeah, it's that shot. Good shot. Good shot. Um, the one that you guys haven't mentioned that I think I'll mention is uh, it's toward, oh, I want to say it's toward the beginning uh, after, um, after I think it's Brian. Somebody mentioned Brian was the name of the kid who first drowns uh, and sort of sets the plot in motion. Um, after that, we see James sitting on like a brick wall uh, facing away from us, but toward a hearse passing by just in really soft focus in the background. Uh, and then he, I think he turns around and like hops down off the wall. But that's like just one of those shots that has like, it's not the focus. It's not the like center of the shot, but it is like, oh, the the implication to how this shot actually play, plays out with uh, like the point of it slowly crawling across the back of the frame is just another one of those quick Lynn Ramsey-isms for you. Really good stuff. Really, really fucking good stuff. Um, well, thank you so much, everybody, for giving me gifts. Uh, we have a final segment to the show. Uh, Harry, do you care to uh, give us... Do I would honest? love to, Jason. It's the segment we like to call... <gasps> Cody's Noties! Wow. Thank you, Aya. That was a great introduction, Hens. They use Hen as a thank term. You. I love Hens as, as a pronoun here. Like... Yeah, and because it's like halfway between hun and just like calling somebody a chicken. It's, it's so very good. fucking yeah. Scottish. It's the thing. <laughs> it is wildly Scottish. I'm glad I had subtitles. Honestly, uh, yeah. Shout out to subtitles. Um, yeah, nothing else needs to be said. Come on the pod, subtitles. Uh, this one feels sort of inevitable, um, but welcome to Rat Love, gentlemen. Uh, I'm going to present some prompts relating to films that are largely rat focused. There might be some other mice or rodents in the mix, but the primary care the protagonist of this segment is going to be rats 
rat singular um shout out to rats come on the pod uh pretty please so i'm gonna read prompts after each prompt i will ask y'all in the order of Mackin, daphnis and then grossman just because that's an order i don't think we get on this very often uh to respond you'll get a point for every correct answer or closest to the correct answer and the person with the most points at the end will they're gonna win Uh, as always trivia mafia rules apply here so use your noodles not your googles with that Let's go ahead and jump in, uh, jump into a toilet because we're going to start with the film Flushed Away, uh, dip into those sewery trenches. Um, it's a 2006 animated film with starring vocal performances from Kate Winslet and Hugh Jackman, uh, both voicing rats, I believe, as, co- uh, as rats, of course. Um, how tall is Kate Winslet? God Harry? damn it. <laughs> Man, <laughs> it gets uh, me every time. It gets me every time. It really time. does. Yeah, <laughs> I never see it coming. The best bit of the show, yeah. Uh, let's go with five six. I feel like she's kind of she's kind of a shorty for an animated film, too. I mean, that's. <laughs> I mean, it's very good. Uh, that's no. Uh, sorry. Uh, how tall is Kate Winslet's character in Flesh Weight? No. Um. Okay, five foot six. Got you locked in. Over to Jason. How tall do you think Kate Winslet is? I want to say Academy she's award winning Kate Winslet on the for you know uh, slightly taller than average side. I'm going to say she's five nine. All right. What is Jason the average? Is five eight. Feeling five like with five foot nine. I think it's oh, five seven. Know. Wow. For uh, women, for American women, 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 women I know that because era. I think that. Uh, I think that my mom is 5'7". Anyway, Uh, no, Kate Winslet's not American also. So So a lot lot for Aaron to think about as he brings up the rear here. Aaron, what do you think? So we got a a 5'6". We got a, well, Jason's was 5'9". I said 5'9". Yep. There's no good way. I I could go 5'5". Is she teeny wee or is she hooping? Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, I'll go. I mean, this is where I'll go five five just to, to be a dick. Oh wow! So, so I, Kate I so rarely a huh? blast in this L-E-T-T. that I, I want to take advantage of the mechanics of it when I am. So I will go five five despite the fact that's not going to get me a point. But All right. uh, that was good, uh, Jason. By the way, thank you. I don't know if it was acknowledged, it. but yeah, yeah. No, I I stayed silent, but I like crinkled my eyes um <laughs> to show that i was holding back laughter because i didn't have I, I wasn't muted but um very good good guesses all around uh going off a few sources on the internet kate winslet kate winslet is reportedly five feet seven inches <sighs> very oh, close to the other fucking... point. yeah you should know. split the difference baby did and you guys immediately try to curse. picture Leonardo DiCaprio and figure out if she was taller than him in Titanic? Because that's what I did. <laughs> I, I also did. That would have been yes, smart. And that's what yeah. made me go smaller. Hey, can I ask real quick though, Cody, could I have gone uh, five, seven and a half and gotten both of the the answers in the middle there without, you know, giving a point to yeah. anybody else in case of a... T- yeah, I don't I don't. I could have done that. God, yeah, why didn't I think, I think of fine. being a dick in that manner? I, I, I need to, I, I need to enhance my uh, kind of meta tactics here. Um, yeah, I, I must be more dickish. Dash Aaron Gross. I know. <laughs> I need to do the the Jeopardy thing where you get the one dollar sitting there at the end of your guess. Yeah. God, I make I make one Yu Gi Oh reference, and all of a sudden everybody's stepping up their gaming t- tactics. Uh, <laughs> frustrating. Now I got, and I'm going to be struggling to catch up, but um, I'll do what I can as we move along to our second question. Uh, we're going to move to Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, now you might be thinking this is not a segment about foxes, uh, but there is a rat character in that film, voiced by one Willem Dafoe. 
maybe you've heard of him. As you may know, uh, some of you may know, Willem Dafoe is evidently <clears throat> uh, very well equipped. If you catch my drift, he's uh, he's reportedly got a big old ding oh, dong. No. What oh, I'm no. going to do oh, no. is, is uh, replying a bit. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna. How big so, is Will Defoe's penis? So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna share my screen here. I've got some pictures here. No, what I'm gonna do <laughs> is recite uh, three alleged utterances from Antichrist director Lars von Trier about Willem Defoe's penis because that's the film where the whole uh, urban legend about uh, Willem Defoe's size uh, and equipment, kind of where that came from. I'm gonna give three alleged quotes from Lars von Trier. Speaking about Willem Dafoe's penis, your job will be to pick out the fake soundbite. It's not a soundbite because I'm just going to be saying them, but it's a, they're, they're quotes. You're going to pick the fake quote. And so I'm just going to read them off one at a time. I've got, um, so quote A, quote, he has an enormous dick, uh, unquote. Quote B, quote, we didn't expect that from Will, unquote. And then quote C, quote, Everybody got very confused when they saw it, unquote. So those are the three quotes. Which one of those do you think is not real, Harry? B, because Willem Dafoe has big dick energy. It must be, like, everybody expects that from him. Maybe not to the extent, but that's why I'm going with B. What actor do you not expect a big dick? Now, yeah, please, Harry. Uh, Lots of name, them. No, name one, though. Name one who you'd be like, I don't buy that. You know what I mean? If you heard, I'm just curious. If I don't I, mean that. That's, saw, that's the only way I'm moving. I don't mean to this. be challenging yeah. here, but if you if you heard, you know, X Y Z had just a, I mean, like crazy, a giant, like just a giant. A I don't behemoth. think Brad Pitt has a big dick. If you heard that, you'd be like, uh, no. nope. I'd be like, nah, doesn't okay. add up. Yeah, sure, I can buy it. In a, a mid pit right. scenario. Okay, interesting. Uh, Jason, over to you. What's what's your guess? I'm gonna give C as the false quote, and it's because I believe one of the actual quotes is that it's confusingly large or like reported quotes. And I think you probably threw the word confusing in or confused to like try and throw us. I think I'm going to say, Ooh, that's C. a really good I'm guess. Say C. I, I, I'm not going to get this right, but if, but it feels good to pretend like I know Cody's psychology on this one. Is it because you remember the magnet that we recently saw on Cody's fridge? Yes. Which nice. I, I wondered if he was what just going to, yeah, it's, it's Will Defoe's face and a little smiling and it says confusingly large. It's very good. <laughs> a shout out to How Did This Get Made podcast. Uh, yeah, free ad space. But uh, I got you locked in for C. We've now, Aaron, you've got some uh, the ideology, ideology from the other fellas informing your decision. Do you want to cover the spread? Do you want to go a different direction? The floor is yours. I, I, I was originally a B guy. Jason has convinced me it's C, but I also do want to cover the spread to, just to be a mensch. I will say that that even if I do not get it correct, I will be repaid in the afterlife. I will cover the spread and choose A, just so we, we get My all man. the options on the table here. All right, honestly, you know, that's so not it. I mean, it's so not A, but you know, yes. All right, fair. Uh, a for Aaron. Got you locked in. The fake Lars von Trier quote is: "They're all real." No, I'm just fucking with you. It was yeah. B. Uh, B was the fake one. <sighs> that's. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Does does Willem Dafoe have big dick energy? He's got weird dick energy. Yeah, for sure. he does. <laughs> born in Wisconsin. Can you believe that? Can yeah, you imagine it, a man well, born in Wisconsin. Exactly. <laughs> that doesn't make any Midwest. sense to me at all. Oh right, we, we found love in a hopeless place. It is. It is one of the eldritch truths of the universe is that Willem Dafoe 
was it's like you translate five pages of the Voynich manuscript and it translates to Willem Dafoe was born in Appleton, Wisconsin or whatever. It's, it's <laughs> it, like really, a it really doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Narrator mad. <laughs> uh, y'all are driving me mad in a good way. The scoreboard currently reads uh, two zero zero uh, for Harry, Jason, Aaron, respectively. As I always say, Pee pee poo poo. Uh, we're at question three, and I think we need to to take a moment to shout out our good friend and past and future guest Seth Zarati. Uh, and I'm I'm invoking him right now because a movie that Seth loves is 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, in fact, in his most recent rewatch of that movie, he gave uh, TMNT five stars on Letterboxd. Uh, for those unfamiliar, that is the highest ranking you can give a movie. They haven't gone past you, the five-star scale yet. If you listen yet. to this podcast and you don't know what Letterboxd is. Uh, we, we've we never talked about Letterboxd. Insert three-hour-long audio montage of all the times yeah, we've For the FBI agents listening to this after one of us commits a horrific crime in the, the year uh, 2037, uh, that is how Letterboxd <laughs> works. You rate things up to five stars. Yep. Uh, copyright trial of podcast this uh all of this is relevant because uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles uh 1990 and i think all of the works uh have a it has a character who is a rat and his name splinter and he's a good rat shout out to splinter um but enough about all of that i'm going to list three other films uh not related to teenage mutant ninja turtles and my question for you is going to be which one of the following films did seth not give the hallowed five star entry to um, so it's, uh, that's what we're rolling with here. So three, I'm going to list three films. One of them is not going to be a five-star film in our good friend Seth's eyes. Film A, 1993's Jurassic Park. Film B, 2005's Pride and Prejudice. And film C, 1991's Terminator 2 Judgment Day. So it's the three films. Which one of those films is, uh, not as of this moment, um, April Sorry, 2nd, 2023 at 4.23 p.m. Uh, a was 1993's Jurassic Park. Maybe you've heard of it. So which one of those uh, had, at this point in time does not have a five-star rating from Seth Zarati, Harry? I think I'm going to go with Pride and Prejudice. Alrighty, Pride and Prejudice, locking it in. Uh, over to you, Jason. What's your, what's your guess? You really did pick the three most bastardous uh, options for this because I could see him giving five to any of these. Um, Harry Surprise and Prejudice. I'm gonna I'm gonna go Terminator Two. Right, Terminator Poo. Uh, Wait, sorry. Pudgement? Is this which film he did not give five to, or which one Correct. he did give? Okay, he did good, not. Good, good. Um, yep. Uh, so yep, got locked in for C. Uh, Aaron, I guess same question as last time. Covering the spread, informing ideologies, etc., etc., etc. Gift and a curse of going last. Yeah, so I, I, I'm not going to cover the spread because, well, so one, I don't, I do not think my good pal Seth is a misogynist, so I assume he gave Pride and Prejudice five stars. Uh, I'm going to go Terminator two as well. I, I could see him giving that a four and a half. I don't know why, and if he did, I'm coming for you, bud. But yeah, I could see him giving it. First one's it. better. Terminator one could happen. <laughs> You could, it's real life, that makes man. It better. That's that's a that's a reference. Don't worry about it. That is an obscure. Oh, okay. That is an obscure reference, which oh, okay. I have posted on social media many times. You have no excuse. Um, but oh, okay, well, I don't know. That's, I don't. If, care. I mean, that's if it's video game related, I probably glossed over it. Uh, if it's not video game related, then I'm a bad friend and a bad consumer of Twitter feeds, and I need to get better at that. 
Um, but I'll find that out in due time. The uh, So the answer to this question, thank you for your guesses, by the way, gentlemen. Seth issued the five-star stamp of uh, Seth approval to all of the mentioned films except for Jurassic Park, which he gave four and a half stars. <sighs> Pride and Prejudice and Terminator 2 got fives. Terminator 1 got four and a half from Seth. Um, should put that out there. But uh, yeah. So no points. No points gained on that question. We're holding, we're holding Pat sitting tight as we proceed. Should have covered, covered the spread. Should have covered the spread. Hashtag cover the spread. Um, it's certainly not good karma. Um, but hey, you'll have chance. Uh, have uh, all of you will have chances to make amends in question four. Uh, at which point we're going to jump to the 2003 remake of the movie Willard, which is about a guy who uses his rat friends to exact revenge on people um, or something. I haven't seen it. Uh, but the 2003 Willard. Uh, stars uh, Crispin Glover as the titular Willard. Uh, Crispin Glover, among many other things, uh, also previously co-starred in the 2002 uh, sports classic Like Mike, which is about a young boy who finds a magical pair of tennis shoes and becomes a basketball phenomenon. Did I use rats as an entry point to pivot and talk about something completely different and within my range of interest? You better believe I did. Um, so a number of actual NBA players had cameos in 2002's Like Mike. Um, a lot of multiple choice this week, spoilers, but which one, I'm going to list three NBA players, which one of the following NBA stars did not make a cameo appearance in 2002's Like Mike? Um, also co-starring Jonathan Lipnicki. Um, maybe you've heard of him. Uh, so the three basketball players are as follows. We've got A, Allen Iverson, B, Dirk Nowitzki, C, Shaquille O'Neal. Um, maybe you've heard of some of those guys. Maybe you've heard of all or none of them. Um, again, this question is, is uh, I'm taking one for Cody today, but which one of these, uh, in y'all's estimations, did not make an appearance in the 2002, again, cinematic classic, like Mike? Harry? You made up Dirt Nowitzki. You can't fool me. Dirt Nowitzki's not a guy. I'm going with Dirt Nowitzki. All right, Dirk Nowitzki is Harry's Wait, guess. did you say Dirk? Shit, that changes everything, but I've already Uh-oh. guessed. No, it's okay. I thought you said dirt. Uh, I thought like this dude's name was dirt. You thought, let me, so I'm just, I'm going to pa- call it, call a, a, a administrative timeout. You thought that I thought I would be able to pull a fast one on you guys <laughs> by making up a backyard sports ass player <laughs> whose first name is dirt. <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah, Mud Johnson. I was refuse, he in like I Mike? refuse myself. John Listen, Dirt. You know what I mean? Like, you go back. You yeah. go back to like the 1920s in baseball, and fucking everybody had names like Dirt Nowitzki, yeah. Tungsten Armo Doyle. Tungsten Armo like Doyle. Yeah, you know. Uh, all right, so I got Harry locked in for for Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, Jason, over to you. What's your guess? I'm gonna say Allen Iverson. All right, Allen Iverson is Jason's guess, and Aaron, uh, the cosmic eternal question. Uh, what is your guess? Covering spread and so on and I so wanna, forth. Covering the spread requires me to guess that Shaquille O'Neal turned down appearing in a commercial product <laughs> during that time period, which is just so unbelievable knowing Shaquille O'Neal. I'm going to cover the spread and go Shaq, even though it's not going. Yeah, Shaq, I guess. I mean, sure. Why not, man? Okay, I got everybody's guesses. Uh, we've got those locked in, etched on concrete slabs. Uh, there's one of these concrete slabs that got somebody a point, uh, and I'll get to that shortly. Over a dozen NBA greats appeared in 2002's Like Mike, but 
Shaq was not one of them. Wow. Really? Karma. Maybe he was just too... Hot. Maybe there were so many, they were like, we can't afford Shaq. Yeah, he, he had an Icy Hot shoot that day. Sure, sure. And he he had won he, like he was fresh off a couple rings. He was probably like you know rings Ernie, and he decided not to appear in the movie. That is a, if that's one again something only for me. If Seth's listening, he probably thought that was funny. But uh, yeah, that's a point for Aaron. Uh, the score is currently two Harry, one Aaron, zero Jason. Um, still very much anybody's game. Anything can happen as we head into this fifth and final question. Uh, we will what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. What we're going to do is the following. We're going to call upon 2001's Rat Race, which yeah, does not refer to actual rats. It's question five. We're getting a little loosey-goosey. Uh, but does uh, this movie does feature an extensive ensemble, as well as cameos from a number of, uh, I'll just say, notable celebrities, including the band Smash Mouth. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to list four singles from Smash Mouth's filmog- er, filmography, discography, sorry, muscle memory. Uh, and what I'm going to ask each of y'all to do is rank... Uh, the four songs in order of highest to lowest peak ranking on the adult pop airplay charts. You don't have to give me exact rankings. Just, you know, this is a classic ranking question. So highest to lowest peak ranking on the adult pop airplay charts. I'm going to list the songs and then give the, cause you know, how this works, but um, I'll recite it anyway after, but I'll give you, give you time to, to kind of crunch the numbers, brainstorm a little bit. Uh, the songs are as follows. Uh, and these are in alphabetical order. So we got all star, can't get enough of you, baby. I'm a believer. Then the morning comes. So those are the four songs. Uh, and so again, dear listener, what they're doing, they're ranking these songs in order of highest to lowest peak ranking on the adult pop airplay charts. They'll get a point for each correctly slotted song. And again, there's going to be four songs total in the mix. I just listed them off. Uh, and if they get the uh, order then perfectly correct, they'll get four points. If two of the songs are in the right places, they'll get two points, and so on and so forth. So again, those songs are All-Star, Can't Get Enough of You Baby, I'm a Believer, Then the Morning Comes, ranking them from highest to lowest peak adult pop airplay chart ring, gang, bum, bum. Um, so yeah, that's that's where we're at. Perfect um, yeah, thank you. I, I I know Harry's up first. Harry, did I vamp long enough? Um, do we need I to tell, so. do I need to do more crowd work? Okay, no, perfect. I think I'm good. All right, um, uh, so, I'm yeah, go ahead go and read with, those off for me. Do you want uh, first to last or last to first? Uh, so highest highest to lowest. Sorry, thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay, I'm gonna go with All Star. Then I'm a believer. Then then the morning comes. Uh, finally, can't get enough of you, baby. Roger Dodger. Okay, I'm going to read those back just to make sure I heard you correctly. So we've got, uh, and that I wrote them down correctly. So we've got All Star, followed by I'm a Believer, followed by Then the Morning Comes, and then lastly, Can't Get Enough of You, Baby. Yep. Okay, excellent. Got those locked in. And over to you, Jason. What is your perceived order? Uh, My perceived order is that first is uh, I'm a Believer, second would be All Star. Third would be can't get enough of you, baby. And fourth would be then the morning comes. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm going to read those back. So we've got I'm a believer. We've got all star. We've got can't get enough of you, baby. And then then the morning comes. Did I? Okay. That is accurate. Roger, Roger. Thank you, Cody. Alrighty. Alrighty, alrighty. And finally, we move to Aaron. Um, Aaron, you're going to cover the spread now. Uh, just what what was your well, what was your guess? I'm kind of going to cover the spread, and that my guesses was exactly the same as Jason's. I will flip the last two 
in an effort, a show of good faith, uh, to, to have somebody win here, you know, just in case. I, so I will go, I'm a believer. I, I, I kind of think the meme bit of all star has boosted that. Like that's obviously a more yeah. generally famous song, but well, like, my, my that wasn't like what mystery men and like what, uh, you know what I mean? Like that was a big song, but like, I'm going, I'm a believer first, all star second, I guess now then the morning comes third and then can't get enough of you baby for I'm not confident gotcha, about gotcha. that, but. Gotcha. Uh, if Jason well, wins, hey. I get it. Uh, it is a $10,000 game. Oh, I shouldn't mm, have I talked over. Okay. Um, so I've got, uh, for you, we've got, uh, let's see, I'm a Believer, All-Star, Then the Morning Comes, and Can't Get Enough of You, Baby. You're that last faces, song was but... also a hit, though. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. They're all they're all bangers. Uh, spoilers: these songs, uh, they're they're all bangers. They're all certified hits. They're all um, etched in golden slabs on a mountain somewhere. Um, but no, thank you. Got you, got you locked in. I've got everybody's totals tabulated here. I'm just going to say in advance of reading the correct order. Thank you for participating in rat love and loving our fine rat friends, be they actual rats or not. The correct order of these songs from highest to lowest peak chart ranking is as follows. Coming in hot with a peak ranking of number one is All-Star. Fuck! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, it's, uh, you know what? It gave me a good laugh, so it was worth it. Um, coming in with a peak, uh, following that, a peak ranking of two. Uh, second on the charts is Then the Morning Comes. Coming in mm-hmm. with a peak ranking of fourth on the charts, the adult pop airplay charts, is I'm a Believer. And rounding out the crew at 14th, uh, which, hey, nothing to, to sniff at. I I haven't yet pushed a song to 14th on the charts. Uh, can't get enough of you, baby. So that's where we're at. If my tabulations are correct, Harry picked up two points from that question. I got four for the game. Jason did not pick up a point for that round uh, and got a bagel for the game. Aaron picked up a point in that round, got two for the game. I believe, uh, assuming my math, my my arithmetic is correct, Harry came out the victor with a score of four to two, zero. Uh, return of the Mac to the pop-off uh, platform? Question mark, patent pending. Uh, Harry, what would you like to say to the folks who may be listening? Honestly, I'd love to pop off, but I'm just so stunned that the Shrek bump didn't uh, didn't boost. I'm a believer higher. I I'm stunned by that. So I honestly can't. I can't even really pop off that much. That being said, obviously this was going to happen. Uh, return of the Mac, the King's returns, et cetera, et cetera. I was late on that one, but yes, the Shrek the Shrek bump is is what I was relying on as well when I when I guess of course that, right I'll, like that I'll start holy with shit. I appreciate Cody the game. I I'm stunned we didn't even mention one specific movie in an entire. Sequence. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't either. I, I suppose I'm starting to lose even my train of thought when mentioning it. Uh, but thank you for ending our episodes with, <clears throat> excuse me, a fun, lighthearted note as I choke myself to death. <sighs> it was this cider. It's a new brand of cider. It must be just. Uh, ooh, what is be, it? It's called cider. Cider Geist. Cider Geist. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's a cool. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty good. It's a pretty. Good, it kind of reminds me of um, uh, Cody. You go ahead and uh, turn off your camera. It reminds me of the brand Zappy name flavor. Zappy. It's, it's, pretty, it's, it's, it's just. It's just a regular a- apple. Zapple. Zappy. Um, but it reminds me of Deathloop. What is that? A lot of the. Yeah, it does look the, a lot like Deathloop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that game it reminds does. me of Deathloop. Uh, Cody, you can I'm turn back on again. I'm, 
Um, thank you so much for ending our episodes on a fun note. Uh, and thank you so much, listener, for listening. There's a lot that we want to point you to in the show notes. Uh, first among them is a couple of uh, Perisphere pieces. We have two about the movies of Lynn Ramsey on Perisphere, Ratcatcher, Death, Garbage, and Glimpses of Beauty in 1970s Glasgow by Dan Howard. Find that in the show notes. And one uh, about the other Lynn Ramsey film that's playing as part of this series, Morvern Keller, The Eyes of Morton Are Upon You, Morvern Keller, and The Art of Expression by former guest Natalie Marlin. Uh, go ahead and check those out in the show notes or by going to perisphere.org. That is the Trilon's blog where you'll find a bunch of pieces by frequenters of the Trilon and uh, just people who have thoughts about movies. Um, the third thing that we want to put you to in self-serving is uh, we had an, an episode about Morvern, well, partially about Morvern Caller uh, with the founder of Fun City Editions, uh, Jonathan Hertzberg, who over saw the distribution of the uh, restoration of Morvern Caller, a, I think, 2002 film, if I remember correctly. Uh, it was one of Lynn Ramsey's uh, sort of star making movies. Uh, uh, Samantha Morton uh, in a star role. She really should have gotten a much bigger career after that movie, but it's a really, really good movie. I picked up the edition from Funny City Editions. I think Cody did the same after our episode with with Jonathan. Uh, it's a really fun discussion. It's one of those uh, we just sort of floated around the discussion points of how it's uh, what it is like to build a boutique film label, sort of the challenges of that, the opportunities, what he what keeps him coming back, and more. Uh, and yeah, wish him well and hope you uh, find it uh, an interesting episode like we found it an interesting one to record. That was our plugs at the end uh, for right now. I thank you so much for listening. Uh, this has been Trilove. Find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. Uh, I'm Jason. You can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Great work on the plugs, Jason. Um, mm-hmm. Not the not the hair plugs, the plugs for the, the podcast. Hair jokes. Um, watch... <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I deserve that. Uh, watch Lynn Ramsey's uh, films, including Ratcatcher. For some reason, you're listening to this and haven't watched it. Um, speaking of, uh, let's see, Ratcatcher. Speaking of catching things, we can catch. Uh, one thing we can all collectively do is catch Taco Bell off guard. Uh, because I don't know if you know this, they're dropping ca- the quesarito from the menu effective Wait, April nineteenth. April nineteenth. Shit, shit. If we all band time. together, um, I mean, chances. I mean, it's it's capitalism. It's fast food. The, the quesarito will probably come back in you know a, a Avengers the eighth one. You know, down the road, like the quesarito will be back. Yeah, yeah but I, you know, we can either get it back sooner or like kick that can down the road of them dropping it. If uh, if, we, if they see a surge of like hundreds of millions of dollars in a quesarito revenue, so that's that is my plea. Um, I, I know I didn't get the pop off because I didn't participate in in Ratlin this week, but um, show some love, uh, you know, rat love as well. Quesarito love um, as well. There's room for everybody uh, on, on, on this, on this stage of I'm, I'm Cody Narvison. I need some Taco Bell. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Wow. My name's Aaron folks. Hey, what the fuck, man? Oh, shit. We had an order here. (laughs) No, go ahead. No, no, it's fine. No, go ahead. All right. Well, look, my name's Aaron folks. Cody has stirred me to action. I, I did I knew about the the fucking quesarito leaving. It's been a while. Frankly, I don't even order a quesarito when I go to Taco Bell. I'm part of the problem. You know, I, I get one of the uh, whatever they're called, but I don't get quesaritos. That being said, I think that we need to look talking about movies is cute and fun, okay? But there are real issues, you know, problems with the world that we need to address, including things, the removal man. of the quesarito. Right, and if I think if we band together, we start a social media campaign. We start tweeting on the trial of account. We can get six, maybe seven people to also tweet to uh, get Taco Bell to not move the quesarito. I think we can do this. Uh, you, you find me on Twitter, Darby, please. Sorry, Harry. Sorry, man. Look, sorry, man. 
Uh, and if you would like to support um, the future of Scotland's children, you can support um, Children First. That's the largest um, charity supporting Scottish children in that country. Thank you. I've been Harry Mack, and you can find actually just go get a quesarito. Honestly, go get a quesarito. <laughs> it's, I'm supporting you can, you Scottish can do both, kids. But, yeah. I'm supporting Taco Bell. Look, the, do we want I'm to do you can, you can do both. McRib where it just coming Bell. in and comes <laughs> yeah. out, and then we gotta Look, pretend here, like it's not marketing. Here's Fuck the thing: that. is no, that. Good, we Taco Bell's prices are Taco so reasonable. It's cheap enough that you can afford it's to give even more. It's cheap enough that more. you can do both, right? Exactly. For the cost of one coffee yes. per day, you could eat Taco Bell for like a week and a half, and you <laughs> could put the extra feeding, savings toward you know, Scottish children. Those, those kids in Scotland in the, the 1980s with quesadillas. If, if, if there was a Taco Bell cantina on the corner, what are we even doing? No problem. Never a place for them to hang out during the day, maybe some sort of educational... Uh, materials could be and distributed there. Out, and once they're out of primary school, immediate job opportunities, career growth. That's right. Yeah, talk about a great idea. Uh, and in conclusion, this is going to be awful. Alrighty. Alrighty. That didn't count as a take because uh, somebody thought me taking a breath was very funny. Um. <clears throat> oh, come on! Put Tom Jones on! I can't do Scottish. That's where we're at. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>